Good morning and welcome. I'm so glad that you are here. You never know when there are two retreats going on if anybody's going to show up, especially after word gets out that uh, the associate's preaching. So thank you for coming, and uh, I, I do appreciate it. Uh, of course, we're not here for me. We're here for God, and I'm glad that you're here. Um, I don't know if you noticed or not. Where's Kelly? Kelly, are you in the room? Three sheepdogs? Holy cow. Holy cow. We had two for a week, and I was thinking that we were going to have to move. Uh, it has been a lot of fun to see your pictures, and uh, I think the word went out. If not this week, next week, you'll get the word that uh, all of you non-dog people can start sending in your pets, uh, cats, and, and others as well. So at the, uh, the last week, we're going to have some fun with that as well. But it's been a, it's been a, great, um, it's been a great series, and, um, and we're continuing uh, our six-week ser- series titled The Dog Days of Summer, although I've got to tell you, uh, when the idea was first floated, I, I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't sure of it. I wasn't a huge fan initially, but uh, I've come around and I really am enjoying it. Um, for some of you, uh, your, your pets, your dogs are clearly a part of your family. They, you have adopted them and, and uh, they are an important part of your household. And, um, but I'm not really a dog person. And it's not that I dislike them uh, or I have anything against them. I just don't really want one in my house every day. And, uh, and I think it's probably part of, um, of uh, a long story that includes a beagle. Um, so, uh, yeah, as Jill reminds me, we, or as Jill reminds me, I... Uh, had a weak moment back when the kids were young, and, uh, and uh, we, I bought a six-week-old beagle, and I thought, well, you know, I had a dog growing up, Jill had a dog growing up, the kids really should have a dog growing up, and you know, beagles are sturdy, and, and so um, uh, I thought, okay, this is, this is something we can do, and so I, I realize now, looking back, that you should never go and visit puppies if you don't intend to take one home. So, uh, you know, 15 years later, the, the dog was still with us, and it was kind of a rocky um, relationship because um, what we discovered is that you cannot reason with a dog who is controlled by its nose. <laughs> and so for uh, more than a decade, uh, we chased that dog through the neighborhood of Touchstone at some of the most inopportune times, like when you're about to leave to go to work, Uh, or it's time to go to bed, or you just woke up and the dog found a crack in the door or in the fence, and uh, it's now wandering the neighborhood being led by its nose. Um, So uh, we we do, it's not to say we don't have dogs and we don't enjoy them. You probably saw my video a couple of weeks ago. All of our adult children have pets. Most of them are dogs. And so we do the thing that we are supposed to do, and we dog sit from time to time. Uh, But we have discovered that a week is a kind of about it for us, you know, so uh, about the sixth day, I think both us and the dogs are kind of tired of being in the same space, Um, especially my son's dogs where they have a really small apartment and they're sort of in proximity to the dogs all the time, you know, we have a great big house and you can't get away from them because they keep following you wherever you go, you know, and so they just really are needy and, uh, um, but anyhow, uh, when I looked at today's text, uh, trying to see some sort of theme that, 
that might make this connection to uh, the characteristics of dogs, um, I landed on uh, loyalty. Um, and if you're keeping score at home with your card, you see it's, it says on there, the uh, undeniable loyalty. And so although there is a piece of that in this text, uh, turns out that's not where we're going. Uh, Paul is clearly loyal to his call to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And if you are familiar with his writing and the writing of Luke in the book of Acts, he suffers tremendously for it. But yet, he knows it's his calling. He is commissioned to do it. He will not relent, and he is loyal uh, to the very end. And so there may be a sermon there for another day, but that's not where I'm going today. So uh, I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able, and let's take a look at the text, and, uh, and we'll kind of see uh, where it took a turn. This is Ephesians uh, chapter 3, beginning uh, with verse 1. I'll go through verse 12. This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard the commission of God's grace that was given me for you and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind as it has now been revealed to the holy apostles, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things." so that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety may now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So, however, uh, so as Pastor Elizabeth mentioned last week, the first reading of a text is rarely the end result of sermon prep. And so as I began to pray over the last uh, couple of weeks, reading and rereading and rereading and sitting with this text and meditating and having conversation and doing the research, that whole idea of Paul's loyalty to the gospel sort of yielded to the mystery that is being revealed. And part of that might have been 
the number of times he used the word mystery. So you don't have to be a scholar to pay attention when you use the same word six times in 12 verses. And so the theme that's going on here is revelation of a mystery. And so that's really where I want to spend our time today. The text picks up right where we left off from last week, where Pastor Elizabeth preached chapter 2, and Paul proclaims this tearing down of this division. Uh, He uses the word wall, but this division between Jew and Gentile. And he proclaims that it has been torn down through Jesus' resurrection. And he continued to to develop this understanding, calling it a mystery that has been revealed to him so that he can reveal it to others, and in particular, the Gentiles. Now, the dividing wall that Paul is talking about is not some racial or ethical or ethnic bias This line of separation was critical to the identity of the Jews. It was rooted in who they were as the people of God. They are who they are because of this separateness. It goes all the way back to the story of God calling Abraham to to leave home, to to leave his father, to leave his inheritance, to leave the land of his father and go where God would lead him to this place that he would eventually give to the descendants of Abraham. This land full of uh, milk and honey, as the text says, a land of abundance. That was the covenant, the promise that God made to to Abraham. And so after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God hears their cry and brings them out of Egypt, out into this desert place, into the wilderness, where he begins to shape them into this nation. You've got to remember now, they're just a people. They're not a nation. Because you're not a nation until you have land. And so as they wander around out here in the desert, God begins to shape them. And he calls Moses up to the mountain and he says, here, take this to them. And he comes down with this list of rules, this endless list of rules that will define who they are by how they live, how they worship, what they eat and what they don't eat, how they treat each other and how they deal with each other and how they deal with others. It is this set-apartness that molded them into the people of God. There were only two groups of people. were the Jews and everybody else. The Jews were the people of God. And they knew it, and everybody else knew it. For centuries, they lived in obedience to this law, this, in this set-apartness as the people of God. 
And God blessed them and multiplied them. And then along comes Paul, who is one of them. A Jew's Jew, he would say. A scholar of the law. A lawyer, back before it had a different meaning. He was given a letter by the temple leaders to go and find these folks who were following this way and perverting the nation of Israel, saying, no, that's not the way anymore. This is the way. How is it that he should become the one delivering such a scandalous message? This message that erases this boundary that has been in place for centuries. A couple of weeks ago, I began leading a a new uh, summer Bible study um, on the book of Luke. And, uh, and some of you may be in it, but, uh, but the fir- the, much to their surprise, the first night we spent an hour and a half and never opened the book. And I know by the time they uh, drove home, they were thinking, what kind of Bible study never opens the Bible? <laughs> but we spent time talking about what was about to happen, what we expected to happen, what we knew that surely by the grace of God was going to happen in those few weeks that we gather together and open this book. We talked about how we come to know God and how it is that God is made known. And in our Wesleyan understanding, it is by revelation. It is by revelation. And and it's it's basically divided into two types of revelation. There's this this general revelation that all of humanity has the opportunity to see, mostly in nature, in the the sunrises and the sunsets that you experience, um, the plants and the animals, the trees, the beauty of creation, um, the stars and the moon, and in the birth of a child or just birth in general, new life. It's hard to see that even as a non-believer and not think there must be a God. There must be a God. Because the power of nature is so amazing that it reveals God even when we don't have words to put around it. And then there's this special revelation mostly through the Judeo-Christian tradition, but in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Scripture itself reveals um, God. Story after story after story of people who had an encounter with God and came to know God in in a new and different way and, and, and responded to God in some way. Through prayer, Through holy conversation with others who are also seeking God, God reveals God's self. Through our experiences of life, but most especially in the life and in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, 
God made man flesh. That is the primary revelation for us of who God is in the world. And then we choose to respond to it in some way and continue to grow as God reveals himself in other ways. Now, Paul never met Jesus. He was not a disciple. He didn't attend any of the events where Jesus showed up. He was still over in the world of Judaism doing what he was trained to do. But you may recall there was this encounter on his way from Jerusalem to Damascus where he met Christ, not necessarily in the flesh, but he came face to face with Jesus and Jesus revealed himself to Paul in a way that Paul could understand it. And of course, it it blinded him, and you may know the rest of the story. But it is through these kinds of encounters that Paul had with Jesus through the Holy Spirit that began to show him, the Scripture says, how much he must suffer and commission him to go to the Gentiles, the very people that he had been persecuting, to deliver this message of who Jesus is. John Wesley would say that the Holy Spirit is the active agent for all revelation of God. It is God's grace at work in our lives. The very idea that you could even come to a knowledge of who Jesus is, is the work of God's grace in our lives. It's part of our theology and our understanding that God is at work long before we even recognize it or understand it or choose to respond to it. There's this revelation happening all the time. God is at work to make God's self known in the world. Now Paul tells us that this mystery that was revealed to him is the mystery that erased that line. That line that divided humanity for centuries. And like any good mystery, mystery novel or a movie, there's always a twist. Think about your favorite novel or your favorite movie that had some twist somewhere along the way in the movie that that then the storyline that didn't go exactly where you thought it was going to go sort of that that aha moment that took you by surprise because you didn't see it coming now i asked google to give me a list of those movies and so and books and so you may be familiar with some of these and so i want you to when you hear them to think about that pivotal moment in those stories when things weren't quite what they seemed. The sixth sense, the usual suspects. One of my favorites, the prestige. Or if you're a a book or a novel fan, Murder on the Orient Express, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, The Secret Life of Pi. In all of those stories, things are rocking along pretty well and you're tracking with them and you understand where it's going and then... 
bam, out of nowhere, there is this surprise. And a mystery has been solved or revealed. And then in light of that detail, you play back the rest of the story and you see it differently. And I think that's what's going on here with Paul. Jesus exposes the mystery of how God will reconcile the world to himself. We see it in the life of Jesus, who constantly was crossing those lines. He went to Samaria. He spoke to the woman at the well. He welcomed the children. He touched the lepers. He healed the blind. Healed the deaf. He went out to where they were and brought them into this kingdom of which he was preaching all the time. And it changes everything. There was a pretty popular TV show several years ago where um, a family's home would be renovated while they go on vacation. And, and they had a week, I guess, to do this complete makeover. And, and, and when the family got back, there was this huge bus in front of the, the house, and they would stand on one side, and the house was on the other. And the crowd would begin to chant, move that bus, move that bus. And in that moment, the bus would pull away, and there was a revelation. The house was no longer what it had been. And it changed everything. And I think the best part of that show was the expressions of the people when they saw their home in this new shape and in this new form. And it ranged from tears of joy to laughter to celebration and and high fives, something had changed for them in a real and tangible way that would never be the same. And since then, apparently, uh, the idea of a big reveal has become a thing. I I will admit, I'm kind of clueless uh, with the culture. I don't really pay attention uh, to a lot of that stuff. But as I was doing my research this week, apparently um, gender reveal uh, is a big thing. And I see some of you nodding, so uh, I'm out of the loop. Uh, Of course, there hasn't been a new baby in our family in a while, so that may be part of it. But you millennials, you have this new way of going over the top to expose a a new mystery or solve a mystery or expose uh, the revelation of the identity of the child. I watched some videos, and it's quite interesting, actually, and entertaining, to say the least. But we're seeking some surprise. We're seeking to learn something new something different that we didn't know or to see something in a new way. According to Paul, the big reveal for the non-Jews occurred when Christ 
intersects Paul's life on that road, commissioning him to go preach to the Gentiles, to share the good news that all are included. No one is left outside the plan of salvation. And according to Paul, this was the plan from the beginning, even before the beginning. It just took time. It just takes time. And and God is patient. And so that's what's happening in this moment. No one is to be excluded from the kingdom of God. And I want you to think about who would be the most shocked by this new revelation. Those on the inside who have been told for centuries that they are the people of God and everyone else is outside the covenant or the people who are outside the covenant who felt excluded. And then I want you to think about it in the context of the prodigal son story. The son who stayed home and followed all the rules and did what the father expected him to do. And the son who was out in a far-off country who somehow came to himself and returned to the father. The big reveal. Maybe you haven't heard this message, the message that all are forgiven, all are included. Or if you've heard it, it hasn't become real for you yet. You haven't fully accepted it yet. You're still living kind of out there on the edge thinking, well, that, that's great, but that doesn't really include me. And I want you to hear it now again, or for the first time, that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. No line, no wall, no barrier of any kind, no distance, no sin, no struggle, no habit or addiction, no race, no gender, no ethnicity, no disease, no crime. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can prevent God from finding you and pouring out His grace and His love on you. There are simply those who know it and those who have not yet heard it or accepted it. That's the gospel that Paul is communicating when he says, all are now heirs of this kingdom of God, this salvation for all of humanity for all time. And then he goes on to say to his brothers and sisters at Ephesus that now this becomes the work of the church. You heard Pastor Elizabeth say early in the series that with great privilege comes Great responsibility. And so Paul begins to crack the door on his vision of this new community of faith 
that has the responsibility to continue to share this story with all of those who haven't heard it. Because the church doesn't live in the peripheral of the world. The world exists on the peripheral of the church. And so when we gather in the name of Christ, embracing this message of full love and acceptance, knowing that we are in, you know, being shaped, being formed into perfection, as Wesley would say, and God's not finished with us, as you hear people say. But in the meantime, we gather and we embrace this truth, this mystery to be true, and we live in response to it. This is the mission of the church. It's what we are called to be about here. I'm going to invite you to stand. I wanted to share this as a benediction. This chapter is so rich. I encourage you to go and read it for yourself and allow God to reveal himself to you in some special way. But Paul goes on in the, at the end of the chapter and he says, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love for you. And to know that the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Go in the knowledge of God the love of the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit into the world to be the light of the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.